The Bible is alive and active. So if you purpose that way, if you pray that way, if you say, God, I don't understand this, give me some kind of context, you can use a lot of different tools to get you there. In this series, we're trying to use the covenant to get us there. And so in this particular passage, we can take this king and understand human king, divine king, how do I use that in my life today? Well, maybe a practical application would be, what am I What am I making king of my life that's not in its rightful place where God should be instead? Could be a person, could be a pastor, could be a Bible teacher, could be your mom. And so anything that sits in a king position in our lives instead of God, that's how we could take that. And we're taking that out of the context of the covenants you will be my people and I will be your God. Hello there and welcome back to Study with Friends. Today we are continuing our look at the covenantal themes of land, descendants, and special relationship through the Old Testament. In our current series, we are working through the former prophets beginning in 1 Samuel. If you've missed any of this series or would like the homework, just head to our website studywithfriends.org and search Old Testament. We are available to stream on most apps, and if you're looking for a new way to connect, check us out on YouTube. Now, let's continue our study. As leadership goes, so Israel goes. So if she has a king who keeps his eyes focused on the Lord, who doesn't allow the worship of other gods in his kingdom, who follows the commandments and the covenants, then it goes well for Israel. And if you know, as the king goes, so Israel goes. If he uh, is sinful and worships other gods, and by the way, for the most part, Israel did not denounce God. They just added other gods in. And there's another word, another big word for that. It's called syncretism. But what it means is, I mean, you shouldn't not know the words, even if you don't care about the words. I want to throw them out there. And if you love them, then you're like, hey, a new word. Uh, if you don't, then just ignore it. But basically what that means is, They were trying to add the culture, this is maybe more into what you were saying a moment ago, add the culture around them into, you know, what God had prescribed them to be and do. Um, And so that's where they went wrong, where, um, you know, it says in John 17, live in this world, but not of this world. This is the same concept. Israel was to live among the nations, live in the promised land and as we said in the in the Pentateuch unit, the whole purpose of Israel's election was so that she could be a witness to the, the rest of the nations. And so she was to live among the nations, but not be the same as the other nations. And so um, and so that's the problem is that she, and I don't want to say too much about that because I do want to work through it in the homework. But, you know, we're going to see leadership matters. Um, and I, I want to talk about how that impacts descendants, and I want to talk about uh, how that impacts a, a relationship with God, um, and we certainly see how that impacts them in the land because eventually at the end of Kings they get ejected for not uh, keeping the covenants as God had prescribed them. So I think that the two pieces of that verse, Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in her, his own eyes, is a great foreshadowing into the rest of what's about to go down. Okay, so the next thing, I, any other questions about sort of what's what's coming down the pike? Okay, so the next thing I really wanted to um, 
to deal with was the book of Samuel. And I'm going to do in our keeping with our really high level overview. I want to just lift out two, two things that I think are important to take out of the book of Samuel. First is why was it wrong to ask for a human king? Uh, this could be confusing. So I want to unpack it. And of course, uh, then we're going to look at the Davidic covenant, which is, uh, I wrote in the homework, probably the most, most theologically significant piece uh, of scripture in the entire Old Testament. And, and that's because it solidifies the covenants that come before it. There's nothing new. There, well, there's some new elements in there we'll talk about, but, but the foundation is the same. It's about land, descendants, and a special relationship with God. So uh, really important that we see the thread, and I hope you were able to unpack that in your homework of how it um, relates to the Noahic Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant, and the Mosaic Covenant, and how it relates to really everything we've done so far, and I hope you're able to see that. And then uh, really helping us, I think the Davidic, help, the Davidic Covenant helps us so much see what's coming in the New Testament. Um, of course, Christ and David are talked about a lot in partnership with each other. Son of David, uh, you know, David, descendant of David. This was a really important thing. So, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, okay, so in order to understand um, why it was important, why, why it was a sin for Israel to ask for a king, um, Kathy, I'm going to have you in just a moment read Deuteronomy 17 verses 14 to 20. Before you do that, I also want to do one more introductory piece of uh, work. In, in some books, in some pieces of this whole overview, we see a particular theme of the three-part themes uh, lift up maybe a little bit more. So maybe in the Pentateuch, uh, maybe descendants was something that you really saw because there's a lot of genealogies in there. Or maybe land was something that you saw because there was a, a conversation about land and of course they were moving into the promised land. Uh, maybe that was easier to see. Although I hope we did a good job of unpacking the fact that all three themes were really actually strong through the entire Pentateuch. Maybe now in the former prophets we have some obvious connections to the land. Of course, certainly, certainly the book of Joshua is land heavy. It's about coming into the land, uh, allocating the land, and retaining the land. But it also, for sure, it doesn't neglect these other two elements. Um, one of the things that we read together was the piece of jo uh, the verse in Joshua that said, "As long as Joshua lived and the elders who uh, experienced God in that way, then Israel followed the Lord. But then, as they those people died off." Uh, we move into Judges where it becomes a mess. And we tried to make the connection there between how leadership matters to the people that come after you. And are you telling your children the story? And are you making it real for them? And are you um, helping them understand your experiences with God so that it becomes part of their faith story as well? Or is there a disconnection between what you experienced and what those who come after you experience? And so that's a descendants nod to descendants. Here we start to come into a really strong emphasis on a special relationship with God. And so we're going to talk a lot about the high places. And, and we see in the book of Kings and then certainly in the latter prophets, we're really going to see how important it is that Israel worships God properly. And we call that the centrality of worship. And what we mean by that is that God be set apart. Uh, you know, the, the entire 
point of the covenant was that Israel was special to God and God said, and I will need to remain special to you. I mean, that's a sort of a dumbed down way of saying, but he was saying, keep the covenant with me. I have chosen you. Don't forsake me. And that's a message that he says again and again and again. In fact, we see some prophecy that says when they come into the land and forsake me, it's, 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 it's foreshadowed. And here's where we really begin to see it. Uh, And so if there's an emphasis in this section, in this unit, it is on the centrality of worship, the special relationship with God. So the first part of our understanding of that is why was it wrong for Israel to ask for a human king? So let's look at uh, Deuteronomy. If you could read that for us, Kathy. Deuteronomy. This passage, you know, when you said we're going to see why it, it was wrong for them to ask for a king. I just keep thinking of my son when he was younger, he would say, like, he never wanted to offend anybody. So I would ask him if he liked such and such or did he enjoy the meal, whatever. And he would always say it was kind of good, but bad. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like this. And, you know, there's there's some elements where you read it and you're like, well, it's not really horrible, you know, but then bad. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's unpack that. <laughs> So I wanted to ask, and it's Ian funny. has framed it for right. us. It may or may not actually have to do with that point. So I wanted to ask this. So as I'm reading, um, especially this passage here, where there's a huge list of do's and don'ts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my mind and my heart, each time I read sort of some of these things, is looking at this chunk sort of very literally. Mm-hmm. So then I should do, and I should not, and I should do, and I should not. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be some truth in it. So, But what I, what I wanted to kind of interject or put in here as a thought was is how we take things out of context Mm -hmm. so I guess my question to you is is what if we're reading just some of these pieces right how can we not take them out of context and remember to put them where they belong does that make sense yeah yeah and I'm hoping that's what we're kind of doing yeah one of the things that I think the covenants giving us an anchor for is it helps us to take a piece of scripture and say okay that's something about that doesn't make sense so if I went back to and I'll say this again using the covenants isn't the only way you can see unity in the biblical narrative it's not the only way I mean I I think we all agree starting at the foundation of the cross also gives you a perfect lens to see biblical unity throughout the entire uh, biblical text like one now that we have a Christ Messiah filled eyes we can look back and see how it all led up to Christ right I mean that's kind of why we worship every Sunday and we see what God was really up to and that's a great way to look at the unity of the biblical narrative this is just one way and so I think that the best way to um try to put things like if it like take a puzzle piece and put it into the puzzle is to take like imagine trying to do that without the top of the puzzle box so you have this piece that makes no sense and a bunch of other pieces that make no sense and maybe maybe you can connect the color to a color that you see on other pieces but it's really difficult there's no reason for that take use the puzzle box top and and that's you know, taking a step back and saying, how does this, 
you know, one of the other things we did on the um, on the website you can see is um, way back at the beginning of our our studies together is um, the big picture. So how does this inform me about Christ? How does this inform me about God? What is this teaching me about myself? The Bible is alive and active. So if you purpose that way, if you pray that way, if you say, God, I don't understand this, give me some kind of context, you can use a lot of different tools to get you there. In this series, we're trying to use the covenant to get us there. And so in this particular passage, we can take this king, and that's one of the things I really wanted to unpack, and understand human king, divine king, and how do I, how do I, how do I use that in my life today? Well, maybe a practical application would be, what am I, what am I making king of my life that's, that's not in its rightful place where God should be instead? Could be a person, could be a pastor, could be a Bible teacher, could be your mom. I mean, I think that for a lot of years, I was so close with my mom, I would have put her in front of anything that, you know, I would just go to my mom and be like, well, what do you say? I wasn't going to the Bible. And so anything that sits in a king position in our lives instead of God, that's how we could take that. And we're taking that out of the context of the covenants. You will be my people and I will be your God. Does that help? Yeah, thank okay. you. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. great. Thanks. Okay, so we did a little foreshadowing there. I kind of okay. gave you the answers, but that's <laughs> okay. okay. Okay, so go ahead and read Deuteronomy, and then let's, um, you ladies, since Kathy's going to read a pretty big section, you ladies jump in with the next question, which says, um, list the do's and don'ts that you find in that passage. So let's be listening for those. Go Deuteronomy ahead. 17, 14 to 20. When you enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you and you take possession of it and live in it and you say, I will appoint a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall in fact appoint a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen you shall appoint as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves, anyone who is not your countryman. In any case, he is not to acquire many horses for himself, nor shall he make the people return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, so that his heart does not turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, so that he will learn to fear the Lord God, the Lord his God, excuse me, by carefully following all the words of this law and these statutes, so that his heart will not be haughty towards his countrymen, and that he will not turn away from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may live long in the kingdom in the midst of Israel. Mm. I'm just going to, you guys, I want you to look at the do's and don'ts, but I want to tell you something just that's jumping out at me is all the ways, and if you're familiar with the book of Kings, you can actually see names jump out off the page. For example, so that his heart would not be haughty towards his countrymen, to me, is all about Ro Ro Rehoboam, mm -hmm. because his heart was haughty. Yeah. And, and so what you see then, if you use Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20, as a measuring stick through the book of Kings, and of course Samuel, because we see that Solomon took for himself many wives. David took for himself many wives. Uh, and so these are the ways that they fall down. And, and all the way back here in Deuteronomy, God is saying, when you get a king, which is 
makes it confusing because God is saying when you get a king, so then why was it wrong for them to ask for a king? We'll come back to it. When you get a king, here's the here's basically the do's and don'ts. Here's the you know the script for being a good king. So give me uh, your favorites of the do's and don'ts. What do you think about the horses? <laughs> Come on, don't be afraid of it. <laughs> don't, Why? don't just skip what over is it. This problem with horses. <laughs> give me your do's and don'ts, and then we'll talk about what they are all about. Well, a do is it's the Lord has to choose him. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, it's not to be a foreigner. Yep. You should um, write a book of the law that has to also be approved by Levitical priests, and he needs to be continually reading it so he learns to fear the Lord. What? If you just took that one thing, wh- what more do you see in there? <laughs> uh, contradiction to what they're asking. <laughs> uh, what do you mean by that? He's saying, like, I'll give you a king, sure. But he's kind of only going to be a king in name only. Because <laughs> if he sits here and writes down all this law and reads it all the time, it's going to teach him to fear me first. Mm-hmm. So, like... Perfect. Yeah. One of the things that the prof- the professors in seminary say is that the king is a sub-regent. And what, he, what, they, what they mean is that he is basically a figurehead, that God is to be the true king, and that the human king is to be an agent of the true king. Uh, that's not how it plays out. Uh, but would the- you consider that New Testament, would you consider that an ambassador? Would we... Would we- ambassador cross over the same way where we're considered to be ambassadors for christ yes but more because uh an ambassador um there's no ruling aspect right yeah there's no authority yeah whereas with a king he had authority Mm -hmm. and and it but with great responsibility or with great privilege comes great responsibility and so it was his job as i said in the homework it was his job to keep israel on track um, we'll talk about that more in the book of Kings, but, um, you know, if, if Israel was straying off the path, it was, he needed to have the authority to push her back on the path. Um, it was different than a prophet, different than, um, other leaders because the authority, I mean, aside from Moses, who the people gave the authority to, um, this was a different authority, authoritarian position. So yes, yes. Um, but of course now, uh, we're more, uh, sort of agents of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ambassadors is the right, like we are to represent the kingdom, but, um, we don't have that rule in Christ rules. Yeah. That's a, yeah. I like that difference. Whereas their, their job, I guess, is to shepherd, right. To bring the others and to lead them Mm -hmm. to what they're supposed to be doing. But it's interesting that you say that at this moment, because one of the things that she, I was trying to. Uh, poke at was it talks in the verse that you just pulled out about how basically he's supposed to keep counsel with the word of God and the priests of God. So he's not really supposed to be on his own. And so when we become prideful and we go out on our own and we don't keep counsel with, um, 
the wise ones around us, the ones who are also charged with upholding God as the sovereign, then we can lose our way. So there's so much in Deuteronomy 17 about the monarchy. And again, this is a place you just like, honestly, you could spend an entire year just going back and forth, back and forth. If you look at Deuteronomy 17 and then look at the Kings, take any uh, narrative about any of the Kings and measure it against Deuteronomy 17. And we talked about this. I can't say it enough how much Deuteronomy exerts itself on all the books afterwards because the book of Deuteronomy really makes clear the laws that Israel is supposed to follow in living in the promised land and it really prescribes those behaviors for them really clearly. And so when we look at the former prophets as a narrative about why Israel was thrown into exile, we can start with Deuteronomy as an understanding of that. Like this is what you were told to do. This is what you did. And this is where you ended up. In fact, right now there's a big meme thing going on of how it started and how it's going. Do you, are you familiar with this? Mm -hmm. Belle is familiar. You're familiar with it? Yeah. (laughs) So basically they'll take a celebrity or whatever and, uh, you know, something from way in there, like how, how they started, like their first role or something and how it's going and like their, their big house now or something. And so, so it's just a meme. It's just a trend on social media right now. And so this is a look at how it started and how it's going. And, uh, so when we think about how it started, in Deuteronomy, it was uh, even in the Pentateuch, even even Moses said, when you enter the promised land and you forsake your God. And, and Moses said, if you were stiff necked, even while I was with you, how much more are you going to be a mess after I leave? So there's a lot of projecting that and, and awareness of that way back in the Pentateuch. Uh, but Deuteronomy does, a, I think, um, more of an on the nose job of really helping us put the former prophets and even the latter prophets into context. So Thanks for lifting that out. I'm always so thankful for how timeless and timely God's word is. Thanks again for joining us on this multi-series journey, studying God's covenantal promises throughout the Old Testament. We are a weekly Bible study, just like you'll find at your local church. If you are in a study like this one, we encourage you to join one. Make sure that the church is teaching from the Bible in every situation. In Matthew 10, Jesus sent out his disciples to preach the gospel, instructing them, freely you have received, freely give. We take that command serious here at Study With Friends, so we have created tons of resources on our website that are all free for you to use. They're at studywithfriends.org. Much like the disciples who relied on the generosity of a host, we are 100% donor supported. If you have been particularly blessed by our ministry, would you consider making a donation? Monthly partners are especially helpful to us, and no amount is too small. If you are willing to give it, we would be grateful and blessed to have it. You can donate on our website one time or become a monthly partner. That's at studywithfriends.org forward slash donate. We would love to connect with you and hear how your walk is going. We also love to get prayer requests from you. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or if you prefer, you can email us at info at Remember, you can stream us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Plus, you can now see our studies on YouTube. No matter which way you choose, we hope that you will connect with us. For now, we hope you'll join us next time when we study with friends. Mm-hmm.